0: Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean, casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. A show that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. Co-hosting tonight is Doc. Martin, our chief science correspondent, and we could not be more excited about today's show. It is our Fish Nerds Book Club, the FN Book Club, and we are chatting about the book Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller, and even better, Lulu Miller is with us today to talk about the book. Welcome to the show, Lulu.
1: Thank you for having me as, as like a, um, a denier of the very thing you love. I'm, I'm like the, the anti um, Christ, <laughs> <laughs> Christ. Just, that's a different uh, show. <laughs> you know, I'm questioning. I'm the denier. I'm the denier.
0: Well, it's it's interesting. The, re- the reason this topic interested me is first of all, I've been talking about fish for years, mm-hmm. and your title grabbed me because uh, I I do a lot of presentations, and I start every presentation with teaching people that fish are not a thing. Really? So okay, so yeah, yeah, this I'm is in. old
1: hand. Like
0: yeah, mm-hmm.
1: yeah um well yeah because that's something I'm always always testing the more that I kind of like talk about this book and as I was researching it constantly was with people who really study fish especially scientifically um and care about taxonomy and things like that I, w- I would always be like so do you really think they don't exist and almost I mean most of the people were like yeah when you when you're talking about the category in this sense, absolutely, it's it's a bunk category.
0: It, it um, is, Doc. What's your degree in cyprinidays or something? What do you? My degree in cyprinidays. Yeah. Your, yeah. What's, your, what's your What's your
2: PhD in? <laughs> My PhD is just in biology, but I do focus on prairie stream cyprinids. That would, that is
1: And what are cyprinids? Minnows. Minnows. <laughs> oh, how cool! Yep. Yep. So they, the little, they, the they like fish. that. Um, they like that, uh, the pheromone, pheromone no, not pheromone, the, the chemical communication, right? Um, some of them do.
2: Yeah. Some of them even, even make noise. I have a student working on a proposal for a research project right now to uh, listen to the oh. fi- uh, fishes of Kansas and document what kind of sounds they make. So do
1: they make noises audible to the human ear or do you have to translate them? Um we well, we have to record them and translate them. Yep.
2: Okay.
0: So you have a fish well, some to of human translating book? Like, how do you know? Well, what you're some
2: saying? fish can make audible noises. Um oh, there's fish species out in California that causes a really big, like seasonally cause a really big problem because the buzzing is so loud. Wow. So some fish can um but I'm I'm going to guess it's unknown that the Kansas fishes if if they make noises and what kinds of noises they make. I don't think we'll be able to you can't just dunk
1: your head underwater and hear them. But some fish can.
2: That's so neat. I it's do. so crazy
1: just all the things we don't even consider because very you know, we haven't spent much time observing there but like of course some fish make voices but oh anyway cool 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 now i'm all off on a like they're like the they're like the the folk historians collecting the the music of the underwater of kansas oh that's right (laughs) how neat okay
0: people made millions on whale songs so why Mm -hmm. not fall fish songs so
2: who can get uh fish fart ringtones (laughs) that's a thing that exists for (laughs) no yeah, it is. Uh, I don't remember who the researcher is, so I'm sorry if you're listening right now, but I know that their He's lab not. has recorded a <laughs> lot of fish sounds oh and they made them into ringtones. This is like 15 years ago, I think, so. If you Do they sound fart? like human farts? I mean, it's translated, so it's, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a, <laughs> a noise of air underwater, kind of, so it kind of sounds like what you would think a fart should sound like.
0: Wow. Awesome. <laughs> This didn't take us very long at all to lose track <laughs> no. of the show.
2: <laughs> it never does.
0: <laughs> all right, so so listeners, you might recognize Lulu's voice from Radio Lab or as co-founder of the Invisibilia podcast. Both of which I'm a huge fan of. Lulu, you're gonna love this. The only bad review the Fish Nerds podcast has ever gotten was a comparison with Radio Lab. it went on and on about a full paragraph about how the Fish Nerds really want to be Radio Lab, but they probably aren't listeners and probably have never heard of NPR. Oh. So
1: I'm so happy. Um, well that uh that's great that you've only had one bad review. I can I can tell you when I worked for Radio Lab in early days, um, we half of our, our email was bad. It was get this bleep off the air. Um because oh, yeah. I think people were so irritated by the sound of it. <laughs> and we actually had to start, we had to make a promo because we used to come out with five episodes a year and um and we'd be like, and we would bump Terry Gross in New York City, and we'd be like, It's only for a week, she's coming back. And like, it was like, Terry Gross is on vacation, don't worry, we're not bumping her for real. Oh,
0: and she's so, so nice too, so how dare you?
1: I know, I know, <laughs> it was wrong. And trust me, the listeners let us know.
0: <laughs> I'm sure they did, I'm sure they did. So, uh, I want let, to let listeners know that this episode, we will spoil this book. So, if you haven't already read the book, hit stop, go get the book. Uh, it's called why fish don't exist and then read it and then come back to the episode otherwise we're going to tell you what happened so
1: yeah there's some there's some uh, thrillery twists and turns mhm
0: i yeah i do want to talk about that and i first want to talk about why i first connected with the actual character this is about um, david star jordan right who who was a collector of fishes and Lulu? Um, the fishnerd started off as a project to catch and eat every kind of freshwater fish in New Hampshire. So I was a fish collector uh, when I first founded the podcast about ten years ago. So right wow. about the same time you were researching this book, I was chasing down every kind of fish with a huge obsession, similar oh to how gosh. you described. David's
1: yeah, story. with the insane goal that you had to complete because of some strange desperation inside of you.
0: A huge yes. <laughs> to, for, to be famous, fish famous.
1: <laughs> oh, wait, where are you on that goal?
0: Oh, that was a, a bunch of years ago. There were, New Hampshire has 48 species of freshwater fish, and we caught and ate 47 of them. Who eludes and, you? Uh, the lake whitefish, which is near extinct and now illegal to catch. So if uh, I do catch one on accident, I'm going to lick it and let it go. <laughs> Oh my it. gosh!
1: I really yeah. hope that moment happens and that you document it in audio form.
0: Yeah, I probably will.
1: <laughs> I'll record what wow. the fish has to say about it.
0: Yeah, we'll get. Well, do they make noise, doc? I don't know. Oh, see.
1: If you translate it, no. what uh, what was your f- favorite taste of those?
0: The favorite one actually ate this fish on New Hampshire Public Radio was the uh, walleye. The cheeks of the walleye. Mm. Uh, we made them with cheese sauce, and the worst tasting one was a slimy sculpin. Also eaten on public radio. Um, We made slimy, sculp, and scampi. I'm not a chef, so I think everything should be literal if you're going to cook and you don't know how at least use alliteration in your cooking. That's uh, perfect. Wow.
1: What a cool goal. Congrats on making it.
0: Yeah. And then we almost had a book deal and then it all fell apart because someone else wrote our book, which you didn't know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, that was the goal. But then the podcast got launched because we weren't reaching people and we decided to make a show. So I want to start with congratulations. I know how hard it is to write a book and even harder to get them published. So congratulations on that, Lulu.
1: Thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do nothing else now in my life.
0: I'm done. <laughs> retire. Raise your kid. <laughs> You're good to
1: go. On, on that hot money on the existential nature of fish. Uh,
0: you have a son, right? That brings it. I do. Yeah, he's almost two. Almost two. Okay. So Doc Martin just has a baby too. She's a daughter that's almost two also? One and, One and a half? One and a half. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Lulu, when he's two and throwing tantrums, show him your book. Yeah. Say, I wrote this. Sit down. <laughs> and then he'll have more tantrums. Yeah. <laughs> 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 all right. So this this story is about the obsession of David Star Jordan and his kind of quest to categorize all these fish. But it opens up. You tell the story of his uh, of his lab crashing down on him. And so I read that and I immediately thought, this is my person. I love mm-hmm. this human being. Hmm. Um, and then you had this habit in the book of doing that to me where I would love a thing and then you would ruin it for me. Can, can you explain why one would do that?
1: Why I keep doing that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for me as a listener or a viewer of movies or a reader, I like surprise. Like mm-hmm. I like it when the unexpected comes. I like the story or characters not fitting neatly into molds. Like, I just enjoy that. I love a good horror film. I love suspense. I love, I think, like narrative whiplash. Just even, you know, Radiolab where I trained, I think has that sometimes where you think you're in a really um, serious, like history-based story that suddenly gets modern and emotional. Or like, I just, I think for me, I like that as, as as a reader because it makes me feel like, I'm on a ride and I don't quite know where it's going. And that gives me a sense of, of surprise and wonder with the world. Um, and the the feeling that the world is bleak or known, that is a feeling that haunts me and I struggle with. And so I think, honestly, part of that like extreme <laughs> whiplash that I'm giving you as a reader is is actually like my own antidote to the, the bleak feeling. So I, I'm trying to make the reading experience a little bit of a ride. Um, but I do realize it's... <laughs> Not for everyone, so I apologize <laughs> if there was too much whiplash for
0: you. No, I don't hear. Don't apologize for your book. I think it's terrific. <laughs> uh, doc, do you have anything to say about? You want to talk about David Starr Jordan? do doc studied him in college. He's an expert. You sure did?
2: Him. No, 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 no.
1: Clay <laughs> oh. is lying
2: to you. <laughs> okay. uh, I know who he is because I am trained in ichthyology and I am a fish ecologist. Um, so, uh, in your interminglings with, uh, the ichthyologist academia realm. Did you talk to anybody about their, um, their ichthyological family history?
1: Did you, Ooh. did you know that that existed? No, I actually didn't except I don't, I don't think it was you, Doc Martin, but somebody after the book came out wrote, um, so for people who listen to the podcast who might not know, although maybe they all do know David Star Jordan is like considered really one of the main forefathers of American ichthyology. Um, and he was credited with he and his team discovering o- almost a f- over a fifth of fish known to man in his day, um, a kind of really nature-based style of teaching where it's all about ob- observing and mistrusting beliefs and kind of wonderful in certain ways. Um, but someone wrote to me that and then the spoiler alerty thing is like, there is some tremendous dark side to this guy, uh, really scary stuff. And someone did write to me or tweeted that like, she started her grad school, her sort of white coat ceremony equivalent was to profess her lineage to David Star Jordan, that there was this like, mm-hmm. I am the so and so's teachers students student and that like the closer you were to him was godly and she said wow that's made me really rethink that process but is that something that you went through too uh i didn't um, so
2: a lot of my um fellow colleagues did that i went to school with a who, couple Doc, of them who? actually made powerpoints i'm not gonna tell you who because it's rude <laughs> um, but made powerpoints showing like them and then you know their advisor and their advice and showing the tree of how they're connected to david star jordan and that was some kind of badge of honor and so that's a really that's a real thing it's a real thing yeah
1: I see i did not realize that till afterwards i mean i hadn't i had sensed it i think i quote one thing in the book where i had sensed he is certainly revered and there are these two famous ichthyologists who write that every ichthyologist can their lineage to him. So I got the sense that he was largely revered, but I didn't realize it was to the degree of like bragging rights.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, um ac- It's funny. So I am, I don't know. I'm the unique snowflake in the world. I don't. I just don't care. I don't care what my lineage is, or that yeah. I'm connected to some guy that was far away. Like I appreciate his contributions to science and the importance that it was at the time, and you know all that stuff. Like I, I know what he did. I understand that importance. I really appreciate that in context. I have no idea what my academic lineage is. I know who my advisor was. <laughs> right. That's important. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. And um, some other people thought that that was rude of me almost, like that I should have this mm. deep appreciation for, you know, where I came from and this lineage. And I should know how many connections it takes me to get to David Starr Jordan. And that always was very bizarre to me. Um, but it is very, very deep seated. I think
1: See, that is that is really interesting. I <laughs> yeah. I think for me, just coming to it as more of an outsider, like, I, you know, when, when you guys are talking about coming out of this podcast, I was like, Am I going to have to admit, like, I don't know a single species of fish. I don't know anything about fish despite writing a book about them. But I didn't, you know, to me, he was an obscure, unknown scientist. But it it does seem like within the world, he's really a a saintly, or, you know, or at least an important figure. That is so interesting.
2: Well, and it might make a difference. Um, So I grew up in Indiana, which oh, is familiar. Yeah, there you go. Grounds <laughs> right, exactly. for a portion so, of his life. Yeah. Yes, big portion of his life in Indiana. So, I think that uh, that might be part of the reason, but actually it was not in Indiana where I uh got introduced to my my future colleagues having PowerPoint presentations about how the lineage connected to them.
1: Wow. <laughs> it was I wonder if, if I in opened. those circles, like I haven't heard much, but I wonder if the book if it's reached any of them, it's like hard to grapple with if people are really finding.
0: Well, let me, let me, uh, let me add before we get into that question of, of how is it rippling before we get into that question? So that listeners will know what we're talking about mm-hmm. is, yeah. so this book goes from building up David Starr Jordan as his collector, this determined scientist, his father figure of all these things. And then it gets dark and turns into a murder mystery. And then, Turns out David Starr, Jordan, was big into racism and eugenics and all these things. So all of a sudden, the great guy, and he's like terrible. So that's kind of what we're talking about when, when you're asking the question, When that, how does that hit the fish science community, right? Is that the question we're going to?
2: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah.
0: Right.
2: Yeah, and a lot of what I have heard, of course, um, is all about that first half right? Like, that's the half you hear about that is, right, that that people want to hear um, because you don't want someone so big in your field to be that guy. Uh, That's the end guy. Um, Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, and I think, honestly, that's probably the other reason, Clay, that there was, like, so much whiplash is there were great things about him. Mm -hmm. Like, and what makes him interesting to me isn't that he is evil and beyond anything we can fathom. He started out so wonderful, and so lovable, and so guided, you know, he was wary of certainty, he was wary of beliefs, he revered curiosity and openness, and he was into pacifism, like he had all these beautiful things, and yet even within that, all these kind of wonderful north stars, he could go so, he could just go off onto a path of such destruction, and what was interesting to me to study about him as a character is like, well, how did that go wrong? He had great teachers. He had great parents. He um, had great beliefs and missions, but, but something started to turn and, and what can we learn? You know, and part of that has to do, I think with his resilience and his persistence, which can become hardheadedness and bulldozeriness. Um, And then, but for me, the real sin for him came with his certainty like when he started to truly believe that eugenics, the weeding out of certain types of people was the way to solve society's ills. Um, it was when he just fine have that idea, you know, have that idea based on your, re- your interpretation of Darwin and harnessing natural selection, whatever, have the idea. But the sin for me wasn't in the bad idea so much as when he wouldn't let go in spite of endless opposition. Like, the victims of eugenic sterilization, scientists calling the ideas ludicrous, judges calling it immoral, he just wouldn't let go. And I think for me, that's like the really interesting part is where does where does a good person start to just make so many missteps? Because that he's a human. He's not perfect and he's not evil. He's
0: I was, a human. I was about to say that's what makes us human, is that no matter how science we want our brains to be. Part of being human is having a belief system and then digging in on some of those beliefs, right? Even against all other facts, I guess. And yeah, that and even and
1: even a scientist who, whose very mission is to be skeptical of beliefs and keep investigating, like, of course they're subject to it. You know, this isn't a like it's that's not to say that science is in certain ways subjective and it is in certain ways an art. Um, To me, that's not like a slander. That's just admitting scientists are humans too. And and I think they can be better scientists if they are open to that.
0: Yeah, to- totally agree. But you know, but you know, we're gonna make mistakes. Hopefully, none, none of us will make the eugenics mistake. Yeah,
1: hopefully. <laughs> that's none a pretty of us big, like, oh, <laughs> oh, we're only human. Yeah. That's yes. A, yeah. <laughs> yes. Hopefully, we won't. No, that, I'm not an apologist at all. But I just am saying, I think it's it's more interesting to read him as a human to to yeah. look for like lessons in, in what we should maybe avoid in ourselves.
0: I think so. Now, one of the things I liked about your writing style, I want to kind of get into some of the style here, is I feel like I could smell your book. Like you use the sense of smell oh, almost every chapter throughout the whole book. It? Yeah, I, I can smell the cinnamon hair boy. I can smell the the ethanol, the formaldehydes, and you talk about smell constantly. Now, in your real life, are you a real smelly person? A very is it R O What's the most?
1: I hope I, I shower a lot. I try not to be smelly, <laughs> but um, no, I think um, I think that you know, for me, like this is the first book I've ever written, possibly, probably the only book I'll ever write. I usually work in audio, which itself is this incredibly sensuous form, as you guys know, like you pick up a bird noise, you pick up intonation in someone's voice. It's it's full of sensual meaning of the senses, details. And writing felt so daunting. And the danger for me felt like, how do I evoke the world? Mm -hmm. And how do I not make this feel dry and flat? And so, so much of the book is writing about nature and noticing nature. And I think I tried, I guess I wasn't doing it consciously, but I think again and again, when I'd scan a scene in my memory or trying to render a scene from history to life, I would literally think like, how do I make this not dry? And I'd start to imagine the world. And I guess sometimes smell came in there. I also, while I was reading the book, interestingly, I read the novel Perfume which is this like super twisted horror <laughs> novel about a French guy in the like 1700s who murders women for their scent and bottles it and sells it and people buy it and they don't know it's murdered. I I like horror. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> great
0: story. And
1: I think that book was so the set the smell details were so incredible because they'd write about perfume and. The French lavender, it wasn't all gruesome. The writing about smell, gosh, I am so tempted. There's like, I'll send it to you after. There is one of the most beautiful passages about smell and memory and life. And um, so maybe that trickled in. Maybe I was like, you know, I got to think about the smell of this this world. <laughs> but I'm glad you noticed it.
0: <laughs> it was a good touch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, I have for you guys, I this was something I went around and around. on. There's a particular line where I was trying to describe the smell of fish. <laughs> but I didn't want to just say fishy because that feels like really bad, lazy writing. So sure. I, went, I, I went back and forth with my friend who studies fish and, and, and has more experience with them or she works in, with the government sort of like managing fisheries, but she loves fish. And um, I, I think I, I landed on, there was this moment where it's like this, they smelled of pond scum and pickle was what I went with. That's a good one. But I worry that her idea was like pond scum and sunshine would be better. And I worry the alliteration drew me in. But do they actually smell like pickle? And is that just me thinking they do because I smell them so late in the game?
0: You're talking about fish that are preserved.
1: I'm talking about fish that are freshly caught. How would you, as fish nerds, describe their smell?
0: Have you ever smelt a fresh smelt? I don't think so. They smell like fresh cucumbers. (gasps) <gasps> really? They, you would, if you were blindfolded and someone put a fresh cut smelt in front of you that was fresh cut and cleaned, you would smell cucumbers.
1: Cucumbers are such a great smell.
0: It is. And it's very unique to that fish too. So, and, and most fish don't smell like much at all uh, when you first fillet them if they're fresh.
1: What about like minnows? Do the minnows have a smell?
2: Um, I would say minnows are almost an ethereal musk. Ooh. Oh, wow. how do you feel about that clay i, th-
0: <laughs> I don't know what ethereal means
2: <laughs> air airy so it's not really i wouldn't say pungent right because mm. minnows i don't think unless until they're dead um, just fresh caught even if you get a, a sane haul of them they're not really odorous nice. they're kind so. of earthy in yeah the, like the ethereal musky. musk yeah, yeah that's the what musk. i would say for cyprinids yeah In see, prairie if, streams, I, very specific.
1: if i had consulted you guys i think i would have had a better it would have been like an ethereal a cucumber ethereal musk
0: oh i love that it sounds dirtier mm-hmm. than smelling
1: like of musk and cucumber see <laughs> that may be more accurate but i did what i could
0: well, I do I limited, like with my
1: limited worldview
0: <laughs> well if you write a second book on why fish might be something we can uh, we
1: can have that talk. We'll add. Okay, you guys will get full credit.
0: Yeah, fish may actually be a thing. My my kids were having a fun time, by the way, taking photos with your book. They they thought it was the funniest idea to take pictures of fish with a fish book that says why fish don't exist.
1: Yes, just prove me right. They're like, okay, have fun talking to this loony
0: bin. Yeah, like good luck, Dad. <laughs> but uh, it was good. Um, so in, in your email with, with Doc Martin, uh I know. you mentioned I told Clay not to do this. You mentioned uh that you don't Gar? like her garf tattoo. What's that what's your thing with garfish?
1: Oh wait, do I get to see the
2: tattoo? Um it's gonna take me a minute, but yes. <laughs> okay, let's oh. see it. Sorry, I gotta put down the microphone, it might be a little <laughs> <Sorry>. bouncy here. <laughs> it's on my ankle. <laughs> For the fans that can't see what I'm
1: doing, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's a beautiful tattoo. We've got like a wiggling snake, it's a yeah. And it
2: gets,
1: um, the I the got old it
2: old That is a really
1: when cool I was, tattoo.
2: thank you, when I was 20, I think. So I was about two or three years into my uh degree in my undergrad. Um, I was really into fish, man. Obviously, I still am, and I wanted a fish that was just really cool and really interesting for a lot of different reasons. Something that was native to where um, I grew up too. And I just, I chose the gar.
1: Okay. So maybe I should tell you, so the context there is, When we were talking about me joining, I was like, okay, but I know, I actually don't know anything about fish and don't get me going on Gar Um, (laughs) because I really am anti-Gar. And then she was like, well, I have this tattoo. So should I tell you why my problems with Gar and then you can convince me out of it? Yes. Yes. Love about that. Okay. So, I mean, it's just, (laughs) it's like become a stupid joke with my wife and I, but so we, one of my favorite thing, we lived in Virginia for about 10 years. And one of my favorite, we just moved to Chicago. But one of our favorite things to do was on the weekend, we had a canoe called the dagger, a big old green canoe. canoe. And we would take it down the Ravana river, which actually has some decent rapids. Um, and, you know, some days the rapids would be up and sometimes, you you know, all kinds of different days in the river. That's one of the things I love about the river it's different every day, blah, blah, blah. So we're going down and one day, it was kind of a low late August, like low river, stinky, (laughs) trashy river day. And then suddenly we start hearing thump, thump, thump against the canoe. And I put my oar down into what I can only describe as like a hell vortex of (laughs) hundreds of gar. I've never seen a gar, you know, I'm like a prissy northeasterner so like there's a lot of things coming in here um but it was like a tornado of prehistoric snake monsters and they weren't (laughs) they weren't like swimming like little ethereal musk fish they were like (laughs) clumsy hell things and they loved the trashy like the trashy shoulder of the river and I I was just like and I'm really afraid of snakes so that's and I just was like what is this horrible thing and then I don't know and then a, a friend we were with who knows the river as well was like those are gar they're these prehistoric things and then I was anyway so then the joke is always like I hate nothing more than Gar. It's just like, is that going to trigger you as much as Gar? So it's just like this. I don't know. It's a stupid couples joke, you know. You just settle on one, but it's like, uh, I don't know. So that was my my. Uh, they hit their. They hit your canoe. They live in trash. They look like snakes. <laughs> no. Okay, so. They actually a lot of people
2: call them trash fish. <laughs> <laughs> and now my my heart is really sad.
1: So um, <laughs> Doc Martin is blushing. I but know. I've really set her up to take me down. The take me show me my show me my like biased short-sighted. You're beard. gonna
0: watch Doc Martin choose her words now very carefully. Very
1: no, carefully. Really take me to task, please.
2: <laughs> well, so how about the reason I like I like our? So one <laughs> of the reasons they're called trash fish is because people don't think that they're good to eat. And so they've got those teeth and so they're, they're problematic when they get your lure and all that other stuff. And they are kind of really tough. Um, their scales are really, really hard. Um, they're not easy to fillet. Um, they can be, they can be delicious if you know how to cook them right. I think clay, have you, have you eaten gar?
0: Uh, No, because I can't catch them, uh, but I've heard their balls are delicious. They make gar balls. Yes,
2: that's right. (laughs) Um, and so they have a really unfortunate reputation of being trashish. Clay's laughing at me. And, um, the reason that they're really cool and you'll have to talk to, I wish he would come on the podcast someday, Dr. Solomon, David, the Gar guy. I mean, he knows way more about Gar than I do. Um, they just have really cool mechanisms to be able to withstand um, hotter temperatures and kind of more unforgiving water quality situations. So when you see this trashy river or this place where you're like, ew, that's really gross, and you see gar there, I mean, the humans made it gross, right? The guard can just tolerate those conditions, um, and they have been doing that for a really long time. Um, They've been around a lot longer than other fish, so they're not as evolutionarily advanced um, because the things that they've got going on work really well. Um, And there's a few different species, but some of the scales... Are you saying they're at
0: at the top of the ladder,
2: Doc? I don't believe in ladders. (laughs) Don't paint me in that corner. (laughs)
1: But that's interesting. I mean, you're saying the, the joke here is like part of the book ends up being, and maybe you guys were there already, but like this takedown of the concept of hierarchies. But what's interesting is you were like, they're not, I, I love this. This is a perfect example of this where it's like, they are not evolutionarily advanced because they were just so good. Like they were, they can withstand things other creatures can't, they haven't needed an upgrade, mm-hmm. which in a weird way you could argue makes them more advanced, which itself just shows that the latter. Well, is, and yes,
2: if you've ever had the conversations with um, any evolutionary person saying advanced or whatever, um, they don't like that because you can be, more recent evolutionarily, but have lost characteristics. Um, and that's not any better or worse, which you you kind of talk about in your book a little bit about, you know, well, you know, planaria or tunicates or whatever, they're bad because they don't have all these advanced features when actually they used to and they lost it because they didn't need it anymore. And so a lot of things, instead of saying advanced, we use like derived. Mm, mm, that that's and that's the way to get around that because advanced isn't it's not the right connotation for the thing that we're trying to describe. Yeah. Semantics.
1: Um, you, I'm, I actually like, you've already convinced me. I mean, this is amazing. You're saying like all the reasons I'm icked out by them is what just, it's like, right. We sullied the world with the temperature, with the trash in the water, with the changing levels and they can endure it. Like they haven't had to change and they probably will outlast us. Like look at the cockroaches or the horseshoe crabs, you know, like, those are probably who are going to, you know, like they have a sort of nobility and durability.
2: And, and also, have you seen a baby gar?
1: No. <laughs> I think they're
2: really cute. I Googled one just for you.
1: Oh, oh, gosh. <laughs> they're, they're so like, cute. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They are so cute. They're so vulnerable. They are.
0: They're teeny, teeny, tiny. How do they smell, though? That's Ooh, gar.
2: <laughs> I would say gar don't have too much of a smell. Um, they're really solid on the outside. They're not really slimy. They're just kind of tough.
0: So I, I know think. a fishing guide in New Orleans, he went, he took me out. We tried to catch him. We were trying to catch other fish. I was trying to catch gar. He would not allow me to because they make his boat stink. So, oh, really? No. How,
1: how do you catch a gar? if one?
0: I, Most well, of
2: the folks mm-hmm. I know do bow fishing. That's the worst.
0: Bow I fishing, is, bow where fishing? You, is where you bow hunt for them and then you don't eat them. You just kill them. And it's, it's a nightmare. Wait,
1: literally like with a bow and arrow underwater. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they come to the
2: surface. And so this is actually one of the reasons I got my tattoo. I was out in a river. It was a big, sandy, shallow spot. And you could see the gar near the surface. And I pointed at one, and it w- they would jump out of the water. It was really cool, like dolphins in the river. Uh, I called them river dolphins for a long time. Oh. I got very upset about that. <laughs> so I do not do that anymore. Um, but, yeah, so they'll sit on top of the water, and you can – I think that you can even go out at night and kind of flash for them with a light and then uh. you, can, you can shoot them and it's really sad.
0: Yeah, it's not, uh. not, a, not a nice way. Well, you can't catch release that way. Yeah. And, if, and I have a problem with people catching and eating food, but I don't like killing for fun. So that mm-hmm. bothers me. Okay,
1: so this um, is now officially my favorite kind of story. David Star Jordan goes from hero to villain. Gar goes from villain to hero. See, backward. I am turned. I've been turned.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> we don't have a lot of time left, Lulu, because you've got to go. Oh, no. But um, I, know. I do want to talk about okay. eugenics a little bit, because I didn't know anything about the American history of our involvement with eugenics. I didn't know it existed. I never heard of it in this country. Um, I, you know, I was taught Surprise. in school. The basic stuff that wasn't true, apparently. So finding out that David Starr Jordan was a supporter of eugenics, finding out what was happening in Europe at the time, uh, f- totally shocking. And we posted on Twitter for some questions, and all the questions we got from Twitter were about eugenics. So mm-hmm. uh, people basically want to know is, you were reading David Starr Jordan, you were fascinated by his tenacity, his efforts, and all that stuff. When did you find out he was into eugenics, and when did, and how did you feel about him afterwards? how do you like balance all these feelings of this folk hero eugenicist?
1: Yeah. Well, and Clay, I was just like you. I mean, I hadn't heard about any of this. I think we grew up in the American education system, believing that the eugenicists were the Nazis. And that was one of our main points of our national identity is that we called it out and we fought against them. And then I kind of, yeah. And I plunged into this history and like the Cliff's Notes version are, you know, we were, instituting these policies before Germany. And that actually some of Hitler's early posters said, we don't stand alone in the idea of eugenics. Um, And there was a picture of the United, there was a picture of the American flag on the poster because we had put in these policies of forced eugenic sterilization of people that were usually meant people with disabilities or some sort of um, low score on an intelligence test or all kinds of things like that. We would forcibly sterilize them. And that was, in 1927, the Supreme Court ruled in favor of mandatory sterilizations in the Supreme Court case, Buck v. Bell. And so, and there were like eugenics competitions and state fairs where they'd like award the most eugenically fit baby. I mean, we have this deep, rich history and it is only as of a couple years ago, it's only taught in one state's curriculum. So I think there's like a there's a con, there's a reason we don't hear about this and I think it it would be great just to, to tell children, you know, like to like have that be part of education. But anyway. So when so I went down my own mini eugenics like just disbelief wormhole of wow, how did I not know that this all took place here. Um and then when I and and I did in the early days of researching him, I had seen some little whisperings that he may have been involved in the movement. And I remember a couple historians said, you know, most history of science stories from that area era end up in eugenics. So I thought maybe he was tangentially in the movement because everyone was, the first five presidents were. When it really started to shock me was when I finally got a hold of his books um, and I used my wife's school ID at UVA to access them and have them like shipped. And she was like, great. Now, what? like they hadn't been taken out since the 40s. And she was like, what weird red flag is on my name now that you're taking out, quote, the human harvest and the blood oh, of a nation. God. But I started reading it and he wasn't just a little bit condoning it. Like he was one of the first to write about the ideas. He was one of the first to push it. He had had this sort of inspiration story when he'd seen a town in Italy where there are a lot of people with disabilities who lived there and he warned against you know how they were devolving and they weren't even humans and, and he said, this is where the human race is headed if we don't take action. And he was it was, he suggested the concept of extermination. So it was when I finally got those books in my hand that was literally like a, a physical revulsion where I just was like, oh, he wasn't just part of a movement. he was a real. He was a really. He dedicated a lot of his time toward thinking about it and pushing it, and so that was a few years into the research. And and I think in a way that's like when I knew, okay, this is what this is. This is a this is the story. This is like actually a, this this the biography sort of of a villain, but I don't want people to know that until like the last third of it.
0: Yeah. So I didn't like that you did that to me. So uh... <laughs> sorry. I was a little upset. Uh, I, I, but, I do um, want to point out one more thing. Are you a Harry Potter fan?
1: Okay. This is, you're going to, you're. You, I have not read them, this out but too? now I have a kid. And I just want to wait to read them with him. Like I am yeah. desperate to, but I am, I am, I have never read them, but I'm so excited to.
0: Well, because when you were describing, this is kind of going back to the middle of the book again, but when you, when you were describing uh, David, uh, the star Jordan, as when he was sewing on those patches on the, on the fish I can only visualize Harry Potter doing stuff with a wand like I, I don't know why I couldn't get it out of my head mm. something in the descriptions it got in my brain I'm reading Harry Potter with my kids right now so it oh. might be it but but I, I just I saw Harry Potter in that
1: <laughs> well I love that and I think I do think in a way I was trying to conjure like the the Latin names they sound like spells they and do. I think I think That's I right. was trying to conjure this sense that like mastery gives us gives us a perceived sense of control over the world. If we right. can name it, it's ours. And there is something very wizard and scepter-like about it. And I, I'm i glad you had that image because I think I was trying to kind of make him look like someone who, who thought he was kind of stunning and capturing the world with his supposed mastery. Um, right. And then for me, the, the payoff is that posthumously, of course, the world proves to be more complex than what he could ever understand. And if you follow scientific thinking, ultimately that itself steals his fish from him in the end. It wasn't lightning. It wasn't the earthquake. It was science itself or the world itself being so complex. Um, so that's how he, to me feels like this kind of cosmic justice fable where he got his, his existential punishment in the end. Um, <laughs> one of the things that this book
2: reminded me of, uh, I guess, are you familiar with, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, Theodore Peaches? P-I-E-T-S-C-H, The Curious Death of Peter Artiti, that book? No. So your book is very different, but reminiscent of that. And this is um, a historical fiction. Um, The guy that wrote it is a trained um, ichthyologist and um, evolutionary guy, I'm pretty sure, and so he knows about Carl uh, Linnaeus and Peter Artiti. And Peter Artiti is the father of ichthyology. Huh. He's considered And they're uh, over in Sweden in Uppsala. But um, it's the, a mystery in the history of science. And it kind of is similar to oh. um, the different branch of David Starr Jordan's huge, <laughs> egregious error of murder instead of eugenics. Um, so we can battle over which one's worse. But Oh, interesting. It, but wait, yeah, was the person he wrote about a real person? Yeah. Yeah. Peter Artiti. That's okay. a real person. Um, okay. and Carl Linnaeus, a very real yes. father heard of, Tex- of, heard of that one. <laughs> and so they actually went to school together. <laughs> and okay. so, um, Peter Artiti died mysteriously. Ooh. Um, they don't, we don't really know exactly how, uh, there's, been suggestions that he was just drunk and fell in a river um, hmm. but did he really and so this book it's based on real history but it has some fiction along with it and kind of oh, kind of ties in so oh, maybe was, a
1: little bit more embellished than your book which is factual pretty much but period, that's up my much. alley i mean <laughs> i am like helplessly as a you know born and raised atheist i'm like helplessly drawn to weirdly cosmic justice stories in which taxonomists the people who believe they can know the world get punished by the world. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm drawn to that. And like the fact that Linnaeus, the man who gave all names to life on earth died a mute. Like how, how wild is that? I don't know. Little details like that just like send shivers up my spine. So this sounds very up my alley. All right. Well, I I highly
2: recommend it. it's not quite as readable as your book. I'll put it that way. But it's still very good. <laughs> okay,
0: thanks. You can't smell that one. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, Lulu, do uh, you have any parting words?
1: Oh, did you guys hear that one about the paddlefish and the sturgeon fish that had a viable baby? Yes, it was
2: awesome. <laughs> that's, all.
1: that's all I got. That's good. Yeah, crazy. I think, and that's,
2: uh, that's, I'm pretty sure that's Solomon David's work, the guy I mentioned earlier, the oh, gar good. guy. Yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure that's his stuff.
1: Which oh. is just again another example of nature disobeying our rules for it, and oh, I guess yeah. they've had many, many. I guess they've had a bunch of offspring that can have more babies. Also, oh, a new species. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: Hybridization um, between two different families, which is like banana grams. Mm. So that's yeah. pretty co- pretty awesome. That's, that's, pretty
0: that's cool. amazing.
1: Uh, does it have a name yet? Is it like a paddle sturgeon? Um, I haven't seen any
2: official attempt to name it, um, but that doesn't yeah. mean it hasn't been out there. Mm. So yeah, that's
0: doc, have cool. you named a fish?
2: Um, so I thought I discovered a fish and I hate where this story is going already. <laughs> no, it was fun. And, um, it was, uh, just a little colorful fish and I knew the genus that it probably belonged to, but I wasn't sure if the species had been described. So I contacted, um, kind of the, the guy that would be in charge of, he named a lot of the other species in that genus from that locale. Um, and he was down in Hawaii, I think at the time, and so I sent him an email with some pictures and he said, hey, that's super great, but it's actually already described. It's this obscure fish and you happen to get a sample of it, but there aren't any pictures on the internet of it. This is just what it is. And because I tried to look through a bunch of taxonomy websites and stuff and look at descriptions and it was kind of like these, but kind of not like others. And so it's a relatively newly described species. So I missed the boat by about five years.
1: Oh, uh, did you, ha- had you had a name, uh, potential, uh, Contender? Nothing serious, no. <laughs> what about not serious
2: I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it. Oh. <laughs> it's very self-indulgent. How's that? Well, come
0: on, Doc. Tell us.
1: Come on, come on, Doc. Nope, we'll have to keep that another time. <laughs> <sighs> All right. If this was an Invisibilia interview, I'd sit you down and get you get it out of you. If we had more time.
0: <laughs> That's so fun.
1: Oh, bummer. Well, we're out of time for round uh, right.
0: Thank what you. What about you, Clay? Have I ever named a fish? But That's no, like a I. Fish. I'm not That's a scientist. Awesome. I, I used to be a science teacher, but I am just a a guy who loves talking about fish and Lulu, I love talking about them because they're not special, uh, and that's why I love fish so much because they're everything, and they're the the equalizer, brings us all together. Something we can. We're all, all just highly derived fish. That's right, and and I run the hashtag I am fish. Been running it for years, uh, and so when you did the we are fish uh, in your book, I took a picture of that because I was like, yes, she gets it. Uh-
1: so that's so great yeah. well thank you guys this has been like i think the most fun interview i've done about the book thank you for having me on i so appreciate it and i i love i really I, you, you're both so
0: wonderful oh thanks lulu <laughs>
1: this has been awesome
0: yeah all right and, well and have fun I, on your book tour
1: i don't think that's ever happened <laughs> you know what else doesn't exist Medal tour, yeah. um, but uh, but I'll have fun. Um, I'll have fun teaching my kid to go find minnows. That's been, that's been a pretty good
0: second place. It's a good place to be. Thanks, Lulu. <laughs> all right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Too. All right, Lulu's gone. And hi, Doc. How are you? Doing good. Still here, hanging I, out. I feel like we barely talked about the book at all in that interview, and I kind of enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, we got uh, It was more around the book. Well, Although and there the, were some p- important parts, like we talked about, kind of the the meat and potatoes of the surprise twist.
0: Yeah, so so for listeners who are thinking about reading the book, it, it's it's a history of, of David Starr Jordan, brings you through his life, becoming a taxonomist, collecting these animals, becoming the president of Sanford, killing the owner or the founder of Sanford, we think. Um, May,
2: did he? Did I he? think. I think. I think so.
0: I think so, yep. and then a tragedy happens. He loses his collection of fish. And then it turns out he several was times, several times fires, earthquakes, mm-hmm. all the things. Um, and you feel like you're like you're really getting into it, and then you find out he's also into eugenics. And so if the book goes all the way. It kind of ends on on that, and then uh, mm-hmm. and then it's it's a nice book though. Overall, I enjoyed reading yeah. it
2: yeah, and it's also it's not just the history, right? It's a lot of kind of Lou's personal story too intertwined in there. And I think that's the part that I found surprising when I picked up the book. So if you haven't read the book yet, um or well, sorry, we just ruined it all. <laughs> We did warn. (laughs) Uh, That's right, yeah. Um, But I think that's what I found surprising. Um, I don't think any of the listeners will be shocked that I don't tend to read fiction books. I like nonfiction stuff, biographies, and historical nonfiction, that kind of thing. And so um, the first couple chapters were very much about Lulu and her life and kind of Mm -hmm. relationships and why she wanted to discover these things. And really until what my maybe – a third of the way through, that's where it kind of transitions from this personal story of self discovery, I guess, into more of the David Star Jordan and history. So if you're picking up the book and you start the first chapter, you're like, there's what? Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a minute. She's getting there. So she just wants to make sure that you know where she's at before she brings in um, kind of that historical nonfiction aspect of David Starr Jordan.
0: So you and I are different in this area because I like the personal like, (laughs) like I like if I listen to a podcast, I want to love I want to love the host of the podcast. If I'm reading a book, I want to like the writer. And so I for me, that personal stuff that enhances the book. I know for you, you're more like, give me the, give me the meat. Yeah, give yeah. me the
2: science. Well, I think, yeah. and so here's the deal. So, you know, we, we all want to love David Starr Jordan, and yet he was kind of a terrible guy, especially at the end. And so, you know, do you want to like the guy that you're listening to, Clay? Because that might be impossible. I read a lot of stuff by a lot of scientists that are terrible people. Yeah, I so- won't read them.
0: That's true, <laughs> the bastards. <laughs>
2: So, I want to read it cuz it's got information in there, but yeah. I don't necessarily like the person that wrote it.
0: <laughs> well, luckily we like Lulu Miller, right? She was Yes, very, yes, very, very much. Nice <laughs> and and the book is it's it's only 200 pages. It's pretty fast.
2: Yeah, I read it in a weekend. So, yeah. yeah, very easy to read and um for anyone fish if you're not a fish expert, you've never heard of David Star Jordan or Anything you don't know anything about taxonomy and that word makes you confused and angry. You can still read the book.
0: <laughs> well, she, she brings you along enough, enough science background to yes. help you understand it. But I was visualizing this movie about <laughs> about it'd David Davis. It'd be a great movie, you know, and mm-hmm. like even the visuals of when when the earthquake happened and the building caught on fire. I got confused what happened, but the statue of the founder of Sanford falling into the ground head first. That's like a cartoon, you know. So all that works.
2: <laughs> it was, and I think um, I I have to make the edit that Ety Fish Project talked about. Okay. I think I I I'm scientifically obligated to do that. So you have to give me a second. To, so you are okay.
0: obliged to do your I job am. as chief science correspondent. That's right. Because I it's,
2: it's a fair warning um, to the to the fans that want to listen this listen to this and then you know, also gain that scientific knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. This is from the ETY Fish Project. So um, if you are in the fish taxonomy world, you have probably heard of this page. Uh, They are, and I mean, when I say dedicated to fish taxonomy, that doesn't begin to describe the amount of dedication these scientists have to figuring out where the scientific names came from it is phenomenal the amount of detailed meticulous research these guys do um i'm a huge fan of them they know it it got weird i just said i like them a lot please be on the podcast they said no so (laughs) i know i was really bummed but um i always like to promote their work because it is so well done and so meticulously researched and um one of the guys over there did read um Lulu's book, um, and they did correspond with her, so she knows about this. Uh, and apparently, according to the ETY Fish Project, she did a—you know—she accepted her mistake with grace and dignity, which I wouldn't—I wouldn't expect any less because she's awesome. But if you read the book, there's a couple problems. One, um, she talks about the fish. Um, it's a small species of bottom-dwelling, cold-water marine fish. It's the agnomus jordani
1: okay
2: <laughs> and she says that it is he named it after himself in the book she says that that's not true a different scientist named it after him um the other error that she has is actually in um translating that genus name uh, i think she says without corners and it's actually angles so it's uh, Close. It's an it's understandable mistake, um, but if, you know, there's a whole family um, named after these guys, and so if you look into what the family name says, like, that makes it really um, more obvious of what it is. So, she, she was partially right um, if she, you had just l- literally translated it, but if you take into account the history of the name... Then it doesn't actually meet the literal translation, which is a little funky. So, um, but I'd say overall, for her not being a fish taxonomist, right? I'm also not a fish taxonomist, and I didn't catch that. So, um, you know, there's your fun fact for the day. We all learned something. I don't think it takes away from the book a little bit, except that she kind of has a little bit of um, pondering about, you know, why would David Starr Jordan name this after himself? But of course, then he didn't.
0: He didn't. Well, it's it's funny because it reminds me. Reading the book, I got the idea that fish taxonomists were obscenely obsessive, and you've just confirmed uh, (laughs) confirmed my bias uh, there. So,
2: yeah, it's actually nerds. (laughs) Yeah, so I think fish taxonomy is really cool. Actually, I really wish that they'd come on here, but they don't think our listeners want to hear about them. That's what he said. Oh, and I'm like, well, no, that's what I do because they're nerds. You, would, yeah. you guys would love it. I know you would. So I'm going to convince them someday to come on. Do it. Well,
0: but, a lot of people don't get the podcast because they haven't heard it yet. They don't realize that we don't just tell you how to go fishing. And that's...
2: Yeah, I don't fish, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, um, someday I will get some taxonomists on here. I really hope it's those guys because it it is. it is. It's dedicated outrageous nerdiness and it is absolutely fantastic the amount of detail that these guys know about these obscure facts and names that you just we wouldn't know unless you did this well and
0: each 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 name has a story so, that's
2: right. Yeah, that's perfect, so I share Russia. their I share their stories. They do a name of the week, and I always share them. And it's just so interesting. Of why did they name it this? Well, mm-hmm. maybe it's because of the way it looks, or maybe it's because it was a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a secret girlfriend. Sometimes you know, Ooh, or they named after someone that passed away, or just you know, somewhere that they like to visit. It's just uh, it's really cool. It is it gives it a it gives taxonomy a really interesting life really makes it kind of feel more um, tangible to people that are outside of that Latinization and Greek and all that stuff. Well, it is
0: it is hard to to get through some of the names sometimes, but it's fun too. It's part of the fun of it.
2: I mispronounce stuff all the time. I think I say this on the podcast a lot is I read the names all the time. I don't say them out loud very much. Mm -hmm. I, I have like my regular ones that I use in class all the time, but a lot of the stuff I don't actually say out loud. Well, I so sometimes I, I think the, some words aren't, are the first time
0: I think some words aren't meant to be said out loud.
2: <laughs> also, that's so, probably true.
0: <laughs> yeah, some some words don't belong said, unspoken <laughs> words. So that's it. You've listened to a handful of fish stories when you should have been fishing. Big fat special thank you to Lulu Miller, author of Why Fish Don't Exist and kind of a big time podcaster. I mean, visibility is no joke uh and radio lab are you kidding and she's on our show that's remarkable so thank you lulu for that big thanks to wally pleasant for our theme music doc martin thank you for coming on the show so until next time follow the code of the fish nerds
2: spawn early and often
0: never trust a free lunch with strings attached
2: <laughs> and swim against the current every chance you get
0: you did it you made a I podcast did it. thanks doc. i haven't done
2: that in a long time
0: Whether you're fly fishing in a stream getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, fish nerds,
1: fish nerds, fish nerds.
0: It's a podcast.